Chapter Twenty Five of Virgin Soil, Volume Two, by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mariana had pictured Solomon to herself as utterly different before his visit. At first sight, he had struck her as somehow undefined, lacking in individuality. She had seen plenty of fair-haired, sinewy, thin men like that. She told herself. But the more she watched him, the more she listened to what he said. The stronger grew her feeling of confidence in him. Confidence was just what it was. This calm, heavy, not to say clumsy man was not only incapable of lying or bragging; one might rely on him like a stone wall. He would not betray one. More than that, he would understand one and support one. Mariana even fancied that this was not only her feeling; that Solomon was producing the same effect on every one present. To what he said, she attached no special significance. All this talk of merchants and factories had little interest for her, but the way he talked, the way he looked and smiled as he talked, she liked immensely. A truthful man—that was the great thing. That was what touched her. It is a well-known fact, though by no means easy to understand, that Russians are the greatest liars on the face of the earth, and yet there is nothing they respect like truth. Nothing attracts them so much. Besides, Solomon was of a quite especial stamp in Mariana's eyes. On him rested the halo of a man recommended by Vasily Nikolaevich himself to his followers. During dinner, Mariana had several times exchanged glances with Nestanov in reference to him, and in the end, she suddenly caught herself in an involuntary comparison of the two men, and not to Nestanov's advantage. Nestanov's features were undoubtedly far handsomer and more pleasing than Solomon's. But his face expressed a medley of distracting emotions, vexation, embarrassment, impatience, even despondency. He seemed sitting on thorns, tried to speak, and broke off, laughing nervously. Solomon, on the other hand, produced the impression of being very likely a little bored, but anyway quite at home, and of being in what he did or felt at all times utterly independent of what other people might do or feel. Decidedly, we must ask advice of this man," was Mariana's thought. "He will be sure to give us some good advice." It was she who had sent Nestanov to him after dinner. The evening passed rather drearily. Luckily, dinner was not over till late, and there was not much time to get through before night. Kalomietsev was politely sulky and said nothing. "What's the matter?" Madame Sipiagin asked him half jeeringly. "Have you lost something?" That's just it," answered Kalomietsev. "They tell a story of one of our commanders of the guards that he used to complain that his soldiers had lost their socks. Find me that sock, and I say, find me the word 'sir.' That word 'sir' has gone astray, and all proper respect and reverence for rank have gone with it." Madame Sipiagin declared to Kalomietsev that she was not prepared to assist him in his quest of it. Emboldened by the success of his speech at dinner. Sipiagin delivered a couple of other harangues, letting drop as he did so a few statesmanlike reflections on indispensable measures. He dropped also a few sayings, des mots, more weighty than witty. He had specially prepared for Petersburg. One of these sayings he even said over twice, prefixing the phrase, "If I may be permitted so to express myself." It was a criticism of one of the ministers of the day, of whom he said that he had a fickle and frivolous intellect, bent on visionary aims. On the other hand, Sipiagin, not forgetting that he had to deal with a Russian, one of the people, 
did not fail to knock off a few sayings intended to prove that he was himself not merely russian in blood but a real russian bear every inch of him and in close touch with the very inmost essence of the national life thus for example upon kalumyetsev observing that the rain might delay getting in the hay he promptly rejoined let the hay be black for then the buckwheat'll be white he used such proverbial terms as a store masterless is a child fatherless try on ten times for once you cut out where there is corn you can always find a bushel if the leaves on the birch are big as farthings by st diego's day there'll be corn in the barn by the feast of our lady of kazan it must be admitted that he sometimes got them wrong and would say for instance let the carpenter stick to his last or fine houses make full bellies but the society in which these mistakes befell did not for the most part even suspect that notre bon russe had blundered and indeed thanks to prince kovrishkin it is pretty well inured to such russian malapropisms and all these saws and sayings sipyagin would enunciate in a peculiar hale and hearty almost thick voice d'une voix rustique such idioms dropped in due place and season at petersburg set influential ladies of the highest position exclaiming comme il connaît bien les moeurs de notre peuple while equally influential dignitaries of equally high position would add les moeurs et les besoins valentina mialovna did her very best with solomin but the obvious failure of her efforts disheartened her and as she passed kalomietsev she could not resist murmuring in an undertone mon dieu que je me sens fatigué to which the latter responded with an ironical bow tu l'as voulu georges dandin at last after the usual flicker-up of politeness and affability displayed on all the faces of a board assembly at the moment of breaking up after abrupt handshaking smiles and amiable simpers the weary guests and weary hosts separated solomine who was conducted to almost the best bedchamber on the second floor with english toilet accessories and a bathroom attached made his way to neshtanov the latter began by thanking him warmly for consenting to stay the night i know it's a sacrifice for you oh nonsense solomine responded in his deliberate tones much of a sacrifice besides i can't say no to you why so oh because i like you neshtanov was delighted and astounded while solomine pressed his hand then he seated himself astride on a chair lighted a cigar and with both elbows on the chair back he observed come tell me what's the matter Neshtanov too seated himself astride on a chair facing Solomine, but he did not light a cigar. What's the matter, you ask? The matter is that I want to run away from here. That is, you want to leave this house? Well, what of it? Good luck to you. Not to leave, but to run away. Why? Do they detain you? You? Perhaps you've received some salary in advance. If so, you need only say the word. I should be delighted. You don't understand me, my dear Solomine. I said, run away, not leave, because I'm not going away from here alone. Solomine raised his head. With whom? With that girl you saw here today. That girl, she has a nice face. You love one another, eh? Or is it simply you have made up your minds to go away together from a house where you are both unhappy? We love one another. Ah solomine was silent for a while is she a relation of the people here yes but she fully shares our convictions and is ready to go forward solomine smiled 
And are you ready, Neshtanov? Neshtanov frowned slightly. Why that question? I will prove my readiness in action. I have no doubts of you, Neshtanov. I only asked because I imagine there is no one ready besides you. What of Markelov? Yes, to be sure, there is Markelov, but he, I expect, was born ready. At that instant someone gave a light, rapid tap at the door, and without waiting for an answer opened it. It was Marianna. She went up at once to Solomon. I am sure, she began, you will not be surprised at seeing me here at such an hour. He, Marianna indicated Neshtanov, has told you everything, of course. Give me your hand, and believe me, it is an honest girl standing before you. Yes, I know that, Solomon responded seriously. He had risen from his seat when Marianna appeared. I was looking at you at dinner-time and thinking, what honest eyes that young lady has. Neshtanov has been telling me certainly of your plan. But why do you mean to run away, exactly? Why? The cause I have at heart. Don't be surprised. Neshtanov has kept nothing from me. That work is bound to begin in a few days. And am I to remain in this aristocratic house, where everything is deceit and lying? People I love will be exposed to danger, and am I... Solomon stopped her by a motion of his hand. Don't upset yourself. Sit down, and I'll sit down. You sit down too, Neshtanov. Let me tell you, if you have no other reason, then there's no need for you to run away from here as yet. That work isn't going to begin as soon as you suppose. A little more prudent consideration is needed in that matter. It's no good blundering forward at random. Believe me. Mariana sat down and wrapped herself up in a big plaid, which she flung over her shoulders. But I can't stay here any longer. I'm insulted by everyone here. Only today that imbecile Anna Zaharovna said before Kolya, alluding to my father, that the apple never falls far from the apple tree. Kolya even was surprised and asked what that meant. Not to speak of Valentina Mialovna. Solomon stopped her again and this time with a smile. Mariana realized that he was laughing at her a little, but his smile could never have offended anyone. What do you mean, dear lady? I don't know who that Anna Zaharovna may be, nor what apple tree you are talking about. But come now, some fool of a woman says something foolish to you, and can't you put up with it? How are you going to get through life? The whole world rests on fools. No, that's not a reason. Is there anything else? I am convinced, Neshtanov interposed in a thick voice, that Mr. Sipyagin will turn me out of the house of himself in a day or two. He has certainly been told tales. He treats me in the most contemptuous fashion. Solomon turned to Neshtanov. Then what would you run away for if you'll be turned away in any case? Neshtanov did not at once find a reply. I was telling you before, he began. He used that expression, put in Mariana, because I'm going with him. Solomon looked at her and shook his head good-humouredly. Yes, yes, my dear young lady, but I tell you again, if you are meaning to leave this house just because you suppose the revolution is going to break out directly. That's what we wrote for you to come for, Mariana interrupted, to find out for certain what position things are in. In that case, pursued Solomon, I repeat, you can stop at home, a good bit longer. If you mean to run away because you love each other and you can't be united otherwise, then... Well, what then? Then it only remains for me to wish you, as the old-fashioned saying is, love and good counsel, and if need be and can be, to give you any help in my power. 
because my dear young lady you and him too i've loved from first sight as if you were my own brother and sister mariana and neshtanov both went up to him on the right and the left and each clasped one of his hands only tell us what to do said mariana supposing the revolution is still far off there are preparatory steps to be taken work to be done impossible in this house in these surroundings to which we should go so eagerly together you point them out to us you only tell us where we are to go send us you will send us won't you where to the peasants where should we go if not to the people into the forest thought neshtanov Parklin's saying recurred to his mind solomon looked intently at mariana you want to get to know the people yes that is we don't only want to get to know the people but to influence to work for them very good i promise you you shall get to know them i will give you a chance of influencing them and working for them and you neshtanov are ready to go for her and for them of course i am ready he declared hurriedly juggernaut another saying of Paklin's, recurred to him here it comes rolling along the huge chariot and i hear the crash and rumble of its wheels very good solomine repeated thoughtfully but when do you intend to run away why not tomorrow cried mariana very good but where Shh! gently whispered neshtanov someone is coming along the corridor they were all silent for a space where do you intend to go solomine asked again dropping his voice we don't know answered mariana solomine turned his eyes upon neshtanov the latter merely shook his head negatively solomine stretched out his hand and carefully snuffed the candle i tell you what my children he said at last come to my factory it's nasty there but very safe i will hide you i have a little room there no one will find you out you need only get there and we won't give you up you will say there are a lot of people at the factory that's a very good thing where there are a lot of people it's easy to hide will that do eh we can only thank you said neshtanov while mariana who had at first been taken aback by the idea of the factory added quickly of course of course how good you are but you won't leave us there long i suppose you will send us on that will depend on you but in case you meant to get married it would be very convenient for you at the factory close by i've a neighbor there he's a cousin of mine a parish priest by name zosim very amenable he would marry you with all the pleasure in life mariana smiled to herself while neshtanov once more pressed solomine's hand and after a moment's pause inquired but i say won't your employer the owner of the factory have anything to say about it won't he make it unpleasant for you solomine looked askance at neshtanov don't worry about me that's quite a waste of time as long as the factory goes all right it's all one to my employer neither you nor your dear young lady have any unpleasantness to fear from him and the workmen will be no danger to you only let me know beforehand about what time am i to expect you neshtanov and mariana looked at one another the day after tomorrow early in the morning or the day after that neshtanov said at last we can't put it off any longer it's as likely as not they'll turn me out of the house tomorrow all right assented solomine and he got up from his chair i will look out for you every morning and indeed i shan't be away from home all the week every step shall be taken in due course 
Mariana drew near him. She was on her way to the door. Goodbye, dear, kind Vasily Fedotich. That is your name, isn't it? Yes. Goodbye. At least till we meet, and thanks. Thank you. Goodbye. Good night, dear child. And goodbye, Nishtanov, till tomorrow, she added. Mariana went out quickly. Both the young men remained for some time without moving, and both were silent. Nishtanov, Solomon began at last, and he broke off. Nishtanov, he began again, tell me about this girl. What can you tell me? What has her life been up till now? Who is she, and how does she come to be here? Nestanov told Solomon briefly what he knew. Nestanov, he began again at last, you ought to take care of that girl, for if anything were to happen, you would be very much to blame. Goodbye. He went away, and Nestanov stood still for a while in the middle of the room. Then muttering, Ah, it's better not to think, he flung himself face downwards on the bed. When Mariana got back to her room, she found on the table a small note which ran as follows. I am sorry for you. You are going to your ruin. Think what you are doing. Into what abyss are you flinging yourself with your eyes shut? For whom and for what? V. There was a peculiar delicate fresh scent in the room. It was clear that Valentina Mialovna had only just gone out of it. Mariana took a pen and writing underneath, Don't pity me. God knows which of us two is most in need of pity. I only know I would not be in your place. M. She left the note on the table. She had no doubt that her answer would fall into Valentina Mialovna's hands. The next morning, Solomin, after seeing Neshtanov and absolutely declining to undertake the management of Sipiagin's factory, set off homewards. He mused all the way home, a thing which very seldom occurred with him. The motion of the carriage usually lulled him into a light sleep. He thought of Mariana and also of Neshtanov. He fancied that if he had been in love, he, Solomin, he would have had quite a different face, that he would have talked and looked quite differently. But, he reflected, since that has never happened to me, I can't tell, of course, what I should look like if it did. He remembered an Irish girl whom he had once seen in a shop behind the counter. He remembered what wonderful, almost black hair she had, her blue eyes and thick lashes, and how she had looked sadly and wistfully at him, and how long afterwards he had walked up and down the street before her windows, how excited he had been, and how he had kept asking himself, should he make her acquaintance or not. He was then staying in London. His employer had sent him there with a sum of money to make purchases for him. Solomon had been on the point of stopping on in London, of sending the money back to his employer, so strong was the impression made on him by the lovely Polly. He had found out her name, one of the other shop-girls had addressed her by it. He had mastered himself, however, and went back to his employer. Polly had been far more beautiful than Mariana, but this girl had the same sad, wistful look in her eyes, and she was a Russian. But what am I thinking about, said Solomon half aloud, bothering my head about other men's sweethearts. And he gave a shake to the collar of his coat as though wishing to shake off all unnecessary ideas. And just then he drove up to the factory and caught a glimpse of the figure of the faithful Pavel in the doorway of his little lodge. End of chapter 25